The Financial Planning South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planners South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Comspace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web-based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. Comspace provides mind-blowing, out-the-box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super-flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today in the studio, I have one of the guests that has probably been the most requested. It's someone that should have been here for season one. It is the person with probably the most passionate vocal outlet in our profession. It's Quibus Klang, Certified Financial Planner. Quibus, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Louis. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm really looking forward to this interview. Kubis, you are the master in branding. Whenever I see a video, whenever I see any images of Kubis, there has to be a South African flag. Please tell us the story behind that. Well, you know, our flag color is the most amazing flag color, Louis. I've traveled the world. And whenever I get to airports, you always see these flags you know, of every country. And whenever you go to um, hotels and some countries to hang it out, and I just believe our South African flag is beautiful, as I believe our country is beautiful. And therefore, I, I have somehow attached myself to this beautiful South African flag, being proudly South Africa, and really living in a country where if we live here, we have to take the advantages with the disadvantages. And you either embrace it or you complain but I have this, this philosophy. I stay positive. I join what I call the mad club, make a difference club. And I stay away from the naysayers club. Because you get nothing from standing around this water bottle in an office and just complaining about life, about our country, about our profession. And because I'm so proud of South Africa, I go out of my way to look for South African stuff I can use. It doesn't matter if it's a cap, if it's a shirt. And my kids already know, and my wife knows, if I need the present, if they don't have to ask, they can just buy me anything with a South African flag on. So, yes, I am proudly South Africa. I want our country to be proud between all this difficult times, all this complexity, that we are really a rainbow nation. And my God, our flag really emphasized that rainbow nation. The colors are just perfect. That is such a nice way to start this conversation. You know, branding with financial planners, sometimes we feel like someone has to give us permission. Where 
from our conversations, it seems like Quibus, you are comfortable taking permission and saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to lead this. I'm going to kind of run into the battlefield with this positivity, with this mad club, the need for, for change. Like, how do we start changing our mindset from, Oh, someone needs to give me permission versus, Oh, I'm going to go out and change the world? That's a hell of a good question because, you know, I've, I've got that thing, early adopter. And I've got that, that, that saying, you have to disrupt yourself or you're going to be disrupted. So I believe disrupting myself is much easier than someone from the outside, outside of my control, disrupt me. And therefore, this early adoption thing, branding, as you know, I love branding, is personal. And it has to start with us in a personal capacity. Now, for instance, you can have a brand on LinkedIn or social media around mastering your financial profession. And your brand could be as a financial advisor. Nothing wrong with it. But sometimes, maybe you want to take it a step further. Why not brand something else as well while you're at it? Because you need to be unique. You need to be Quibus Clan that can't be copied as far as possible by somebody else. So I've like over the years, I've highlighted like three things and new things come along. But the first thing was really this professional brand and what I call passion for the profession. How that came about, I still don't know. But I logoed it, I put a brand to it, I mastered it, and I decided I like that passion for the profession. And that's why I wrote the book about it, I talk about it. But secondly, I then over time said, South Africa, I want to brand myself as a South African. I want to brand myself as proudly South Africa. Why not? So whenever I get this opportunity, there's a sign South Africa, I'm staying. There's a flagpole on this part of town. I actually look for reasons to take a camera shot of that flag, of myself in that flag. And obviously I post on LinkedIn always, whenever I go on holidays or working from anywhere, I have this flag with me. And believe me, I have half a suitcase, just got all these flags and caps and shirts and things with proudly South Africa. But one of the things I also said, you know, there's this whole new world now, the, call it the virtual world, call it the digital world, call it working from anywhere, call it working from home. So why not brand that concept, working from anywhere? And over the last 18 months, I have done everything possible to look for reasons to work from anywhere, to look for reasons to use the hashtag working from anywhere, working from home. But therefore, again, you can only brand it if you put it out there. So many of us has got brands, but for some reason, we're so scared to put it on social media, to get it out there. Why are we scared? Why must you ask permission, as you say? I mean, maybe some people are a couple to companies, to financial service providers, and they've got rules and regulations. I'm going to say something is very wrong most probably. I'd rather do something and then ask for apologies than rather ask and get a no. Now, I know that's very wrong. I shouldn't be saying that. But, you know, if we, if we are fearing these things, if we are fearing social media, if we are fearing how we want to deal with mastering your brand, you're going to get short. So it's about that uniqueness. It's about putting something out there. And the next thing could be something completely different. I will pick it up as an early adopter, technology, and I will brand that accordingly so that Kubus Clan is not just one brand out there. Kubus Clan has got different brands. That's what's important. You know, in my book, Passion, there's a chapter called Personal Brand because I talk about mastering the nine Ps. One of those chapters is called Personal Branding. And it's all about social media. 
It's about exactly how to brand yourself to become the magnet. Because you should be the magnet. Because if you can become the social media magnet, you're not going to have to push for any business, for anything. People are going to be pulled to you through that magnetism that you've built up. But I'm currently busy with my fourth book. I took personal branding chapter and I said, no, there's much more to it. I've learned so much over the last couple of years through COVID that I started writing a book called Accelerate Your Brand, Mastering Your Brand and the whole book. It's been tough. I haven't finished it. And, and, you know, normally I want to get things done, but COVID has been a new experience. You have to look first after the clients, the human side of your clients, help through them, through the empathy, people dying. And therefore the book got behind. But I can tell you now, I've booked a two-week cruise at the end of the year that I'm going to write my book finish, Accelerate Your Bet, my fourth out of five books I plan to write. And it's all mastering something, mastering the profession, mastering RDR, mastering crypto, Mastering your brand. My fifth book, I don't know yet, but branding critical for us, Louis. Kubis, it sounds like it's it's the same Kubis. It's just a different version that's showing up. Hey, we've kind of refined it a little bit. There's a new nuance to it. But that takes a lot of time cultivating this clarity of thought. What are the habits that you have committed to your life to clarify your thoughts? Well, firstly, it must be about authenticity, Louis. We have to be authentic across all platforms, all online communication, and all media. So that Kurbis is still Kurbis uniquely and authentic to Kurbis as a person. That's very important. We can't be different Kurbises on different platforms, on social media, etc. But secondly, what is important is the consistency. That habit, and you've mentioned the name habits, and amazing things. I listened to a show on um, propulsion from Tanya Kunza. I'll always remember it. And Tanya said it takes 66 days to form a habit. Now, over COVID, we had incredible time on our hands to form habits. And one habit that is important is that consistency. So how do you put yourself out there consistently? How do you get your mindset right consistently that you put something on social media on a regular basis so that your brand can be exposed, so that awareness can be driven to your brand. And that comes down to a habit I call consistency. And the second habit is how do you manage your time? How do you manage your time to do all these things? Be involved with so many organizations, so many committees, and so many platforms. Well, it is about making time. And therefore, it is about creating that time concepts. And how do we create it or how did I create it? I looked at how can I create annuity income? Because once you create annuity income, that annuity income allows you to actually advise and be a professional advisor and be a professional financial planner without having to sell or do investments or do policies. That should be a consequence of that advice. Because once you build that annuity income, you will have so much time on your hands that you can actually consistently perform out there and create all these things in your life. And obviously, one of the things, um, the whole COVID-19 has been a blessing in disguise. Lee. Yes, unfortunately, it, there's been negatives. But again, I don't look at the negatives. I find the silver linings. I find the blessings in disguise. And COVID-19 has blessed my life, my clients' lives, my family's lives, because suddenly I can work Virtually, 
And my practice is now 99% virtually. It's a, it, it is amazing. And therefore, I can now work from anywhere. And that is a complete different quality of life. And you create time by using your technology, right? By using your, your Zoom and your Teams, by using everything to make the experience for you and your clients as comfortable as possible. So that is about time. That's a huge habit you have to form. Kupis, it's wonderful hearing you kind of reinvent yourself and saying, okay, I can see the positive and I'm going to work towards that. I'm going to work towards this vision that I have. For the people that might not be familiar with your story, can you share a little bit of the backstory of how you got into the financial services profession? Sure, it goes back. On 1st of August, it would actually be 21 years, Louis. Let me first start there. And, and secondly, let me tell you, on Monday, on 11th of July, I turned 59. So I'm a bit of an old character in this. But before that 21 years in a financial services profession, I was a corporate man. I started as a junior engineer at the company called Metalbox in Paul, Cape Town. But I was that for two and a half years. And never again did I decide to stagnate myself in one position. I climbed the corporate ladder every two and a half to three years through some major blue chip companies up to managing divisional MD of one of Bolfenta's companies at Altron. And that was 18 years of my life. I was successful for all the wrong reasons. Now, that sounds good. How can you be successful for all the wrong reasons? Well, I was successful because I was uh, I was passionate about what I did even then, but I was competitive. That was actually the, the other side of it. So the passion was overruled by the competitiveness. So I wanted to perform. I wanted to be the best always. But you know what? The last eight to 10 years of that career, I became successful and climbed the corporate ladder because I did. Cons- I only considered, maybe I did not only consider, but I was told to consider shareholders' interests and not stakeholders' interests. That means a lot of my success came from outsourcing, re-engineering, restructuring, and paying people off through severance or retrenchments. My management team at that level simply had to look at when I go into a factory, into a business, into a company, because I was perceived as somebody called a world-class manufacturer, I can change companies from a non-profit to a profitable company. How did you do that? By cutting people out. Now, this is importantly, for every one blue-collar worker that my team retrenched, eight people's lives were negatively impacted. Eight people's lives were negatively impacted. I woke up one morning, and it's in my first book, and I just couldn't sleep with my – I couldn't wake up to what I was doing. That, that shareholder's interest and not that stakeholder's interest. I told my wife, I'm going to find my why. And if I find my why, I would be purposefully driven to get that why to work for me. And if I'm very fortunate – I want to attach my passion to what I love to do for the rest of my life, to that purpose. For nine months while I was working at the senior level, knowing I have to give 90 months notice, I looked at every small, medium, exco, small businesses. I looked at business opportunities. I looked at Mike's Kitchens and McDonald's and you name it. Until one day in the Sunday Times, actually, I found this advert that was around financial services and looking for corporate people with the skills to come into the financial services profession. That was 21 years ago, just about. And I found my why as the following. I want to change people's lives while I change my own life and my family's life. But most important, 
I want to, when I touch one person's life, I want to touch eight people's lives positively. I want that human factor. I want to see the tears. I want to see the happiness. I want to change people's lives. And there was no better profession for me to enter in. I remember after nine months, decided to enter the financial profession. Not many people do that up front. At age 57, of all ages, I started all over. I gave up all those benefits, all those business class tickets and company cars and credit cards, you name it. And I started with nothing the next month. Sure, that is such a powerful why behind what you're doing. Who's been your greatest cheerleader through the last 21 years? Sure, I have to say my wife. I know it sounds the odd one, why your wife always? Because we started from scratch. I mean, you gave up everything, a huge success. And you started a new, a new career, a new business. And if she wasn't there, and my kids obviously, but my kids were, were much younger then. But if she wasn't my cheerleader, if she didn't support that sacrifices we did the first five years, we would not be where we are today. But I knew that if I was going to go on in a corporate world, I was hitting the glass ceiling. We had some very big diversity changes in our country. And I would have been the next CEO maybe of one or other big company. Would I have been happy? No. Would my family have been happy? No. Would my wife have been happy? No. So she has been a huge cheerleader and her support has made this possible that 21 years later, we can now live a lifestyle, we have a lifestyle practice, and we can live our lives. Can we talk a little bit about those difficult years? Because oftentimes in the beginning of building your practice, it's really difficult. You know, we see this with a lot of financial planners saying, I'm in this industry, I feel like I have to sell things to make a living, I'm struggling with it, you know, I'm maybe two or three years in and I want to leave. You know, a big group from, from my class left. There's probably less than 10% of our CFP class is still in the industry, in the profession. Tell us your story and how you got through those dips. I think every story is different, Louis. Um, I come from a corporate career. I come from a very successful business environment. I came from a huge network, a network that owed me. Now, I know it sounds funny, but a network that owed me. Why? Because in my corporate career, I always believed in building friendships, building networks, because you never know when you need somebody in life. And the day I started, I knew I had a list of people I can contact. But that list of people was so strong. That trusted relationship was so strong. doesn't matter if it was colleagues or friends or clients or customers, that I knew if I phoned them, I would phone them and tell them, I'm going to come and see you. I didn't even have to tell them why I'm coming to see them. Now, that is a powerful network. And that is what I think most advisors lack at age 25 or age, you know, any age under age 50, in my opinion. I still believe the best average age to join this profession is age 35. And if you think at our average age in South Africa is most probably 50 and in the world 55 in advisors, then that's a good age at age 35. But too many advisors join below age 50. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't. Of course they should. But they join straight out of university. Where's their network? Now, fortunately, because I had that network, the reason I had to sacrifice, because I came from a huge package, corporate package, with huge benefits. I mean, if I tell you that uh, 21 years ago, that package was 750,000 rand a year. Now, no, now it doesn't sound like a lot. But 21 years, that was a lot. So I had to sacrifice, but I knew my ability, my capability, Louis. 
I knew my business experience in Ackerman. And that means I knew that I'm going to sacrifice for maybe a year or 18 months on income, on quality of life. But if that is going to be the sacrifice I have to do to, to have self-actualization, to enjoy life for different reasons, to have that human touch to it, I was willing to sacrifice it. But it still doesn't mean because I had a huge network that it was easy for me in the first year or two. Because you still had to have income. doesn't matter how we look at it. We all have to earn income. It's how we earn that income, to me, that makes a difference to a successful and sustainable advisor versus somebody chasing commission or chasing products or chasing income. Because I said, I'm going to chase advice. And if I chase advice, the rest will follow automatically. Now, for young advisors, or not, not young enough advisors, but to newer advisors, because you can have advisor coming in at age 37 like me, but it's a to newer advisors. I'll tell you why only the success rate is about 50% for new advisors coming into our profession. As you said, at 10%, but it really varies on your support structures and what, what you get and who you join and what you do in that first five years, but particularly in that first two years. And to me, it's about the activity. And that activity means that we need to see five people a day, Louis. We need to see 25 people a week. Why? Because if you're not in front of people, either virtually or in person, these days it's much easier. If you're not in front of people, how are you going to get the pipeline full? How are you going to get the advice platform full? How are you going to get financial planning full? Because remember, I always say the financial plan is the car. The engine is the retirement annuity you need to reduce the tax for that person or to keep it away from creditors or the estate. And that's why I would talk about if you get the pipeline right, if you get the activity right, you will not struggle in this business. But most importantly, don't sell advice. We all have to sell eventually, but you can do that by giving advice to the human factor of the financial plan, the lifestyle, the dreams, the goals, the objectives. Focus on those things. Still today, Louis, if I close my office on a Friday at home these days, if my diary assistant doesn't let me know at 4.50 that my diary's got 25 appointments in for next week, I still get butterflies in my tummy. I still feel nervous. Doesn't matter if all 25 is annual reviews or quarterly reviews or six monthly reviews. It doesn't matter. So new advisors will make it in this profession. We'll have a much higher success rate. If the activity is there, if we focus on the advice part and full financial planning part, holistic, doesn't matter if you want to do investments and the risk only. But the second thing is the support, the mentorship. There's so many of us that's willing to mentor. Why are we not mentoring those young advisors? Why are we not making sure diversity comes into our profession? Through us as masters, or whatever you want to call it, in-betweeners or beginners, but somebody needs to take our young advisors by the hands and make them successful. So do so. we have a 70% success rate, not a 30% success rate. I'm very curious to hear about what your day looks like. So it sounds like there's five meetings, you know, I'm guessing most of them an hour long to engage with existing clients or prospect. What does the rest of your work day look like? I've actually written a couple of articles for international local magazines, a day in the life of Kubis Klein, I call it. Um, and actually, my day is very interesting. And it depends. These days, it's changed slightly. It depends if I'm working from anywhere or if I'm working from home. 
So working from home, and, and they, they don't differ a lot, but let me just go through it briefly. So I, I'm not an early waker. Let me be upfront like it. I would rather work later than early. I'm not an early bird person. But I would normally be up at about 6 o'clock. And um, from there, I will walk when I'm at home down to my garden. And I've actually got roses in my garden with a little bench. And I actually smell the roses. Um, and I just for 20 minutes or 10 minutes, and it depends how cold it is, but because I can sit and look at the roses as well, if it's a bit cold. And I would take 20, 10 to 20 minutes, Louis, to get the mindset right. Because if you are in control of your mind, life becomes so much easier. And I would just think about all the positives awaiting me this day. When I'm finished smelling the roses or smelling the coffee as well, sometimes when I make myself a quick cup of coffee, I would go up to a, a, a different room where I try to do some exercises. Half an hour, just in-house exercises, you know, a bit of sit-ups and all these things. At 59, you need to stay a bit healthier. And, and, and I would do that. I would then go and shower and then I would dress up. And I would dress up professionally as I'm standing here at my house. I'm fully dressed. Most of the time I won't have shoes on, but I will have my socks on and mostly South African socks and so on because I just love it. I just feel comfortable when I'm fully dressed. I feel it doesn't mean you have to wear a tie and all those things. That's my culture. I'm a, I'm a corporate man. I love a suit or I love a tie. I love to look professional. I'm not saying that's what everyone should be, but that's I'm just giving you my day. So I then get together and then I walk down to my office and that would normally be around 7.30 to be honest with you. And my office is now separate from my house, but it's very close. So it's very easy. No traffic, nothing like that anymore. And I would have five meetings. And those five meetings will all be these days virtual meetings. I have via Zoom or Teams. I prefer Zoom for many, many reasons. I can record the Zoom meeting. I can transcript the Zoom meeting with um, otter.com. And it's just so formal. I can share the screens with my clients. I mean, I have free screens, so it's much easier to, to look at it and make it work. And those five meetings would normally be review meetings, if you want to call it that, a strategic objectives and where are we coming after 20 years or 10 years or five years. 45 minutes would be long. If it's a couple, it would be an hour, most probably. But with the virtual world, where I used to do four meetings a day or five meetings a day in office, you know, etc. I can actually do sometimes seven meetings a day. And I many days have seven meetings a day now. But 45, meter, 45 minutes stints, I don't get computer fatigue. I don't get virtual fatigue because, again, it's about the passion. It's Red Bull. If I can do something for my clients, if I'm busy with them, Louis, I don't get tired. I can do this hour and hour and hour out. The only thing I say to myself, but now I'm sitting at my home, I'm looking outside, I'm looking at my pool, and I've got a nice garden and walls, but I'm doing it for eight hours. There must be a better way to do it. And that's where COVID-19 came in. And that's where the hybrid world came in. And that, Louis, is where working from anywhere came in. Where for the last 12 months, and actually July was 12 months, for the last 12 months, my wife and myself have visited all seven provinces in our country. At least once a month, we go and we take a week and we just look for a dam, a bush, a river or the sea. Now I can sit and working from anywhere for eight hours, look at the complete different environment. I can walk in the mornings with my wife on the beach. We can in the evening go on bush drives. That is what the world has brought us and we should embrace 
and make it work for us. And for 12 months, we've been doing that now. And I can tell you our next 12 months is already set up to do exactly the same. We're just taking it one step further. In November, we will do a month session. So we will go and we will go for a month to Plettenberg Bay from the 1st of November to the 31st of November. And we're going to work for a month from Plettenberg Bay on the sea, on the lagoon. Amazing. That is called a nomad or a swallow virtual financial advisor. That's brilliant. And I mean, nothing's holding you back in terms of employing staff anywhere in the world, moving, you know, in different countries. I am curious in terms of your conversations with your clients, how has that evolved over the last 21 years? Like maybe what, how was it the last 10 years and kind of what are the things that's coming up in your conversations now that you wouldn't have expected 10 years ago? I think it's it's become more human. And I have to say that because in the older days, I remember my first couple of years and so on, it was all about stats, about figures, about analysis, about graphs, about you know growth. And I just found that you go over your clients' heads. And you know the bottom line, that, and that's what has changed this last couple of years and this last two years even more drastically, is my clients want to know that if I go and sleep tonight, and if I don't wake up tomorrow morning, is my family going to be okay? My clients want to know, if I'm in a car accident and I survive that car accident, am I going to be okay? If I have that heart attack, am I going to be okay? The client wants this, you to say to them, Although we've done the financial needs analysis, although we've done the review, we don't focus on the stats anymore. We don't focus on the figures anymore. We focus on the dreams. We focus on the objectives. We focus on the education at that university. And that is where the, com- the conversation has changed drastically. It's changed from a technical discussion to a human discussion. And these days, most of my discussions would be around the human factor of estate planning would be around the human fact of protecting your kids against third parties in a trust, would be about the human factor of making sure that your dreams are on track, that your family's dreams are on track, and somehow that you're going to be okay under all circumstances. And that conversation will then go further when there's life-changing events. How do we deal with those life-changing events? Those marriages, those divorces, those children, those career changes, those retrenchments, those promotions. How do we deal? So my conversations, the FNA is just there to make sure the client can see one quick big picture. That's all okay on those five, what we call the five problems in life or opportunities in life. Are you paying too much taxes? Are you, if you die too quickly, if you live too long, if you become disabled? So conversation is completely different than when I started in this profession 21 years ago. It's just the new version of Kubis and the new version of the engagement. And it sounds like you're their personal motivational speaker. You get them excited for moving towards this vision of their life. You know, Lou, you're making a very good point there about personal motivational speaker and inspirational speaker. We have become our clients psychologists. We have become our clients arm to cry on, if you want to call it that. We have become our clients motivation. Because if I take, and I've got a simple thing that I use that over the last, wow, three years has made such a difference to my clients and myself. And it's called a WhatsApp broadcast message system that I've implemented. 
And it's a single way or single communication way tool. And you know what? Over the last two and a half years, over COVID, I used it before for many times, but over COVID, it became a new tool. It became that tool where I would always have a picture, I'll have a short message, and I would become the factual news of my clients, the motivation of my clients. So when lockdown, more lockdown, I would look at it differently and I would send out these messages to my distribution list on my broadcast WhatsApp group. And the amount of feedback I have got over the last couple of years and every month and every time I send it out is, Quibus, you are the beacon of light in this tough and dark COVID clouds. And Quibus, we don't even read other WhatsApp or, or Facebook messages anymore. Because if you say President Ramaphosa is going to talk on Monday or Sunday, we know he's going to talk. If you say we're going to go from level two to level three, we know it's going to happen. And that's an amazing, powerful tool. But when we when lockdown is extended, I would send out a simple motivational message saying, there's light in the tunnel. There's a silver lining. You're going to spend more time with your family. And by doing that inspirational messages, one pick, one message, maybe a, a video clip. One of the things I've been doing very successfully is to do short video clips, 50 seconds, 20 seconds, and put it on broadcast message. I mean, that is where you say, what are we? We're more than a financial advisor. We're more than a financial planner. We are the psychologist. We're mostly the doctor. We're most probably the, the, the shoulder to cry on. We are the persons that our clients will look up to as professionals because we can change their lives. We can change their mindset. I mean, to go from a 95% office-based practice where I was in January 2020, to go from a 95% office-based practice where my clients came to my office to a 99% virtual hybrid practice, that means somebody's mindsets had to change and many clients' mindsets had to change. How do you do it? That's a long story, but it is about inspiration, motivation, manipulation to a certain extent, if you want to use Zoom, but nice manipulation. <laughs> Any case, Louis, so there's a lot for, there. For their, for their benefit, and you know, as you're saying this, Quibbers, it can be a very heavy burden to bear. And so for some people, they might feel, oh, this responsibility is way too big. You know, I, I didn't sign up for this. I just want to help someone maybe implement a product. Is there... Is there a middle ground between the two or are we moving, are we gearing to move this profession into the phase where we are becoming this pillar in a client's life or this beacon of light? You know, Lou, when you say those things, you give me goosebumps um, because, you know, I've, I've thought about this many times and when I started, and I don't really call it the vision, but I think it was around 2010, 2012 that I just saw through my affiliations and through people that I looked up to, that there's more to this profession or what was called an industry or maybe still called an industry. There's more to it. Why if we stand around a bride or we are at that Tupperware party or at that round table or rotary, why if people ask us what do we do, do we hesitate to say we are financial professionals? Why do we say, yeah, but, you know, we sell insurance or we do this and that? Why are we not proud of it, Louis? You know what? If you stand around that same bride and your general practitioner stand there and he says, I'm a GP, how do you look up to that person? I'm a neurosurgeon. I'm an advocate. I'm a chartered accountant. God, you just look up to those people and say, wow, wow, you've done it. Why are people not looking at us as professionals like it? 
You know why? Because we don't act like professionals. We don't put ourselves out there as professionals. We don't use social media to say we're as good as our GP peers, our medical professional peers, our attorneys, our nurses, our educators, because we still call ourselves an industry. How are we ever going to get out of it if we're still going to call ourselves an industry? If we still call ourselves life insurance consultants or you know, insurance advisors, or like the FECA wants to call us product supplier agents. I mean, my gosh, are we ever going to be a profession? I want in 10 to 15 years from now, and I've at least got another 20 years before I will think of slowing down. I want to be part of a movement, part of the FBI, part of FIA, part of FISA, ISA, all these organizations, ASISA. I want to be part of my fellow professional financial advisors and professional CFPs out there that when we are finished 10 to 15 years from now and you stand around the bride and you introduce yourself as a financial planner, people must look at us like professionals and respect us accordingly. It's so funny because I had this exact same conversation with an industry colleague or profession colleague this morning talking about how do you position the service that you bring and is financial planner or advisor or financial professional, is it even good enough? Because it doesn't really encapsulate the pieces of someone's life that we get to touch and the impact that we get to make. How do you position yourself? So I'm I'm guessing it would be, hey, I'm a financial professional, but I'm sure you have very specific wording. So I'd love for you to share that with our audience when you're meeting with a prospective client that that fits in your target market. You know, I always at my introductory meeting, as I call it, so I have three meetings to four meetings with my prospects or clients over a period of two months, most probably. But, and I don't take on many clients, to be honest with you, Louis. I barely take on clients anymore because, I, you know, you have to manage your client base you've got if you want to do everything possible for the right reasons. So when I have my introductory meeting, I do firstly play a two-minute clip from the FBI about the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner. If you haven't seen that clip yet, it's a very little draft guy draws and said, what is the difference between a certified financial planner and how many there is and so on. And I started that clip. And actually, when I was still in office-based practice, I would let my clients walk into my office after they had the coffee and menus and coffee and all that experience. And then I had the big screen and then I would put on this video and say, just excuse me, I just want to walk out. I didn't walk out on purpose. Let they look at this two-minute clip. And I know the timing, then I walk in after this clip ends. And I say, now, let me just introduce myself and what I do and how I do it. I am a financial professional. In technical basis, I'm a certified financial planner, but I'm a financial professional. And the reason I'm using the word professional, because I want to see, I want you to see me as you would see your cardiovascular specialist or your oncologist. Because the day you lie on that operation table, John, and I'm going to operate on you, John. You're not going to ask or tell me what to do or how to do it. You're going to trust me as your trusted cardiovascular specialist surgeon to do something about that cardiovascular problem you've got. And therefore, John, the reason I'm explaining to you the difference between the cardiovascular specialist and then I say the GP maybe. The GP is somebody that's going to identify a problem, give you medication, you're going to be back next year, maybe next year after that. But I'm the cardiovascular specialist. I'm the professional. I'm using this as an example because if the markets go wild, Please don't listen to colleagues and friends or other advisors. Listen to me as your professional. I'm going to communicate with you. I'm not going to run away. 
And therefore, this relationship, this matrimonial relationship, John, I'm going to have with you, and this is the reason we have this introductory meeting, to make sure you want to be married to me financially for the rest of your life or my succession partners if something were to happen to me. And therefore, I'm making clear to you, as this professional, how he's going to operate with you. And I'm using the cardiovascular specialist as a great example that you don't worry about the markets. You don't worry about what happens if you're going to die or if you're lying on that operation table. I and my team will be there for you to take care of you as a professional. It's so wonderful to hear how the creativity, how you've used creativity to bring a truly wonderful experience to your clients. And, you know, I know in the world, some people might not resonate with it and other people might really love that how much of this is kind of just preaching to the choir and saying okay if this is what you're looking for i don't need to service everyone but for the clients that really resonate with this i want to be there for the rest of their lives it's you have to decide how many people number one you can look after you have to decide i don't want to call it the niche market but the client types you want to deal with and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a corporate man. I used to be. I've got business experience. I've got people with professional experience. And therefore, my market out of interest consists out of mostly 60% small, medium enterprises because that's where I can make a difference. Those guys starting up their startup companies, have companies, want to grow from small to medium and so on. It's 20% of my clients are professionals. Those are your psychologists, your doctors, your engineers and so on. 10% of my clients is Corporate men, the CEOs, the financial directors, the boards of of either corporates or BEE companies. And 10% is the domestic market, the daughter of the CEO that I need to take care of and so on. And when you structure that correctly, that that's the market you want to operate in. That's where you want to change people's lives while you change your own life. And you put that to, to, to that client up front and make sure he understands how you're going to operate and how you can expect him to operate and how are you therefore going to have a mutual, successful, trusted agreement running for many, many, many years to come. And if you operate on that basis, your clients will accept it and you will be able to operate efficiently without all these walls coming up along the way. Kubis, what's the next 10 years? What does that look like for you? Where are you 10 years from now? What impact are you making? Because I'm, I'm very sure that you have a very clear vision of what that might look like. Sure. What I'm going to say now, Louis, is not to, um, to impress you, but to impress upon you certain things. And I hope to the listeners, I've achieved what I believe I could achieve in life, in our profession. Yes, in my family life as well, from my grandchild to my children to my wife. I have achieved my personal successes and personal self-actualization because the lifestyle talks to itself and you live a quality life. What I've not achieved, and not me as an individual, me as part of a movement, as part of a group of individuals, companies, entities, is for our industry to be a profession in a real sense of it. And if it's going to take me the next 10 years, the next 15 years, I see myself as the next 20 years, have time for this. I'm going to focus much more through the power of social media, through the power of my affiliations like MDRT and FBI and FIA and all these. I belong to eight affiliations, soon nine, for a reason, that I can make a contribution. And I want to have this profession be seen, being perceived as a real profession. And it's going to take guys like me, you, 
the Francois, the Toys, the Lelani Bessainers, the David Cops, the I can throw names around all night or all day here. It's going to take us to stand up, to raise the bar, and to make a difference where the public, the financial consumer, is going to perceive us not as policy sellers, as investment sellers, where they're going to perceive us as a profession. So that is a massive objective. But I believe it can be done in the next 10 years at least. The next, the only other thing that I believe is, is really to enjoy life. And it's really to create a lifestyle, to working from anywhere, working from home, to mentor young advisors, to take over the baton one day when I am 80, um, like many of us, if the average age is 50 or 55 as it is, we need a lot of young advisors to take us forward. But if there's one dream, that dream is that we are really a profession. And yes, there is a small part of us, and that's most probably 4,800 CFPs, members of the FBI, or 208,000 CFPs in the world, members of the Financial Planning Standards Board, that can call ourselves a profession. Yes, but you can't have a small profession. You need to have a big profession to make it. The medical profession doesn't have just portions as a medical profession. All of them are professionals. So we need to turn that 4,800 CFPs into 41,000 CFPs because that is how many long-term investments, insurance, wealth managers, whatever you want to call us, is in South Africa. There's 123,000 odd intermediaries in South Africa, but it's about 41,000 of which only 4,800 are the CFPs. What are we doing? Because we all can't be CFPs, but there's RFPs and there's AFPs. What are we doing to uplift our education, our skills, our experience? So the financial consumer, the media, the newspapers, the TV can start talking about us as financial professionals and a profession. Kubis, your passion really shines through. I love this concept of a trusted professional ecosystem where clients can feel safe and they can be looked after. This show is all about the positive evolution of financial advice. You have lived it out, I think, the last 21 years. You will be living it out the next 21 years. I want to thank you so much for being here today. All the best with this journey. We'll be backing you and supporting as far as we can. And please don't let that passion reduce at all just keep on feeling it thank you Louis. I, I really appreciate these opportunities I, I love talking about our profession i love young advisors listening and your podcast is incredible i've listened to a couple of them the time and effort you put into it i don't know where you get it because you're involved with so many other things as well but thanks 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 for for being there for our profession because shows like francois de Toy, your show many other shows are the platform we all need to get the message out there to not only the public, not only government, not only regulation bodies, but to the public and to ourselves. Thank you. Thank you, Kubis.